Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to FIRST. Uh, we're excited to continue this morning in our series on the book of Acts as we just learn to follow Jesus better together. I also want to just thank Melissa for the, the communion meditation she gave that was so great and, and, and very timely for the topic that we're going to be talking about this morning. She's a, a longtime friend of the church, lived and worked in China for the last 20 years, supporting teachers and students. So if you'd like to learn more about kind of what she does, you can, uh, I think, stop by the Next Steps kiosk after service, and we'd love to, to connect you with just kind of uh, more of what she's about. Well, have you ever heard of this thing called product evangelism? Product evangelism. In preparing for the message this week, came across this term that, that I had never heard. I was kind of surprised, but I guess it really got started with Steve Jobs and Apple back in the 90s. And it's kind of what it sounds like, that, that you have a product and then you, you evangelize that product. Or share the good news about that product product. And, and, and Steve Jobs had, had this vision that, that, that all the Apple devices and everything would sell themselves, that they would be so amazing, that they would just, the talk and everything, that, that they would be able to sell themselves. And, and, and there's this thing over time that, 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 that's like people started hiring positions for product evangelists, someone who proclaims the good news about a product, get paid. I guess it's over 100K a year to do this. It's like, wow, that's really, that seems like a pretty easy job just to talk about about things that that are, how amazing things are. I, as I was kind of reflecting, I was like, I tend to be that kind of person. Um, You can ask my wife, when things work really well, I'm like, man, whoever made this must have been, you know, really, really intelligent and did a great job with it. And then if it's something breaks or doesn't work, I'm like, man, whoever made this is terrible and uh, should be fired. And, you know, so I need to, you know, grow in grace in that area. But but one of the things, um, I I love coffee. And so every every morning, my morning routine now is almost every morning to make a, a cup of pour over coffee and I hand grind my own uh, beans because uh, it's better that way. And um, uh, the, the grinder I had, it, it broke because it was terribly made. And, uh, but then I found, I found salvation in this other grinder someone introduced to me and I bought it and it's amazing. And if you like coffee, I'll talk to you afterwards and show you what it is. But I just, I just love, there's certain things in life where like, man, that's so amazing, that, that product or that experience or that place or that restaurant or whatever it is, we all have these things that I'm sure we just can't shut up about whenever we experience this one thing. And it's like, man, this is so amazing. But when it comes to our faith and sharing our faith and getting excited about sharing our faith, it oftentimes gives us pause There's maybe some anxiety around that, hesitancy, maybe anything but excitement. See, when we hear the word evangelism as Christians, it's be cringy because of different examples from our our culture, people who've gone before and set maybe bad examples like this. This is is taking evangelism literally. As you can see, it is evangelism. And uh, thank you for those who, yeah. Thanks, Logan. <laughs> you always know it's a good joke when Logan laughs. Um, but but all, the, all these messages on, on a van, or maybe you think of, of uh, people preaching on street corners with signs and a lot of, a lot of like, you know, hellfire and brimstone judgment, those kinds of things. When we think of evangelism, that's, that's oftentimes, I think, in the, in the cultural imagination, that's what comes to mind. And so it gives us anxiety, fear, trepidation. I don't want to be like those people. And if that's what evangelism's like, sharing the good news, if that's what that's like, I don't want any part of it. 
But here's the deal. As Christians, we're called to it. As followers of Jesus, as apprentices, we're called to it. But attitudes towards evangelism don't just end with these kind of you know, caricatures of things. Barna did a study, it's a research group, back in 93, nine out of 10 people who call themselves Christians said, hey, yeah, it is my responsibility to share my faith. But times have changed, and they did the study again a couple years ago, 2018, and only six out of 10 Christians now say that they agree with the statement, it is my responsibility to share my faith. Why is that? Millennials, 50% of millennials, those are defined to be born from 84 uh, to 98. So that's me and and probably some of you in here. Uh, uh, About 50%, half of all millennials think it's wrong to share your faith with someone else with the expectation or hope that they might change their beliefs. The other generations are, are slightly lower, but it's there. This is our culture, our Christian culture now is afraid of what evangelism means, doesn't know how to tell the story, doesn't know how to share faith. And there's numerous reasons for this, but this is the the moment that we find ourselves in. And we've been pouring over data for the spiritual growth survey that we ran for a couple months. And if if you were able to do that, thank you so much. We're excited to share more about that in coming weeks and months and even years uh, to kind of help orient ourselves. But one of the things we picked up from it was that there's a hunger to, to learn how to share their faith. Your faith, but not necessarily a how-to. They don't know how. Like, I really want to do this, but I, I don't know how. I'm not comfortable with it. And so the tension this morning for us is that there seems to be a gap of obedience between the practice of sharing our faith and the idea of sharing our faith. The idea is like, yeah, okay, that's something we sh- should do. I mean, it's very clear, but the, the practice, not just hearing the words, but putting them in the practice, there's, there's a gap there. And when it comes to evangelism, there's often has a bigger gap. And I'm preaching this to myself this morning, so don't hear me, you know, thumping you guys on the, you know, it's, it's me too. And so this morning, we're, we're going to wrestle through Acts 26. If you want to open your Bibles there with me, as we really remind ourselves that sharing our faith is not optional as apprentices and disciples of Jesus. And as we ask the question, what does it mean to share our faith in the 21st century? And so as we pick up in Acts 26 today, we are just uh, want to remind you that where we've been. So, so Paul came to Jerusalem. He's in chains. He's actually been in prison for two years now, waiting. He appealed to Caesar, and he's waiting to be sent to Rome, but, but the governor's kind of been holding him, and this, this visitor comes in. We saw this last week. King Agrippa comes in. He's like, who's this Paul guy? I'm intrigued by him. I want to hear from him, and that's where we pick up this morning in verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. So Paul opens, and the first thing we we, we want to see, we want to lean into, he, he considers himself fortunate. He's been waiting for two years for some kind of opportunity, and now it's here. He's been paying attention. So before we go anywhere else, I want us to to remember this. When it it comes to sharing our faith, sharing the good news requires paying attention and prayerful patience. Paying attention and prayerful patience. Paul was waiting, looking for an opportunity. 
praying for it. We know he was. We need to have the same posture. And so as we continue in in, in Acts 26, I'm going to summarize this next chunk because it's something we've actually read a couple other times in Acts. Paul, again, tells his story, shares his testimony for the third time. And there's actually some slight differences we'll get into. Uh, Anytime anytime something happens multiple times in Scripture, you got to pay attention to it. It's important. Paul would have shared this thousands of times, probably. But in the text, this is the third time, and that's important. He says this, that that all the Jewish people, the people who are accusing me, they know my way of life. They they watched me grow up. I was a Pharisee. They know it. I was faithful. And I even started persecuting these Christians, these these followers of the way, with with great passion, with great zeal. This is the law of Moses required that that I I persecute. These are heretics. And so I was just being obedient, but then Jesus met me on the road in a divine encounter on my way to Damascus. And I was redirected, my purpose was redirected from persecuting Christians to pastoring them. This is my story. And now I'm here before you, King Agrippa, proclaiming the kingdom of God. He goes on, verse 22. God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses would say would happen. The Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Paul is making the case. I'm just being obedient to the faith. I'm just following it to its natural conclusion. I'm just following the one who fulfills the law and the prophets. I'm just being obedient. And it's led me to this place where I can share with with small and great alike. Great, King Agrippa, you're great. And I get to share with you. And it's at this point that Paul has shared his story so convincingly, convictingly, that that Festus, the governor, who had had been compromising and be like, hey, I'm going to please these these Jewish people who are accusing Paul. I'm going to keep them in prison and I'm going to please him. He's like, I can't stand anymore. He's got to speak up. And so he interrupts. He says, you are out of your mind, Paul. You're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you insane. You're out of your mind. So let's pause right here. I want us to ask ourselves, have, have you ever been known, you've been called out of your mind for the sake of Jesus? The, the way you're living, the things you're saying, has it caused such curiosity and maybe condemnation. Someone's like, man, you're, you're crazy. Sit with that as we continue this morning. Of course, Paul, always with a cheeky answer, directs uh, back to the real power in the room. He's like, okay, Festus, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm talking to King Agrippa here. He says this, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things. I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped your notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do, man. I know you do. He's saying, I'm not crazy. I know where the power resides in this room. And King Agrippa, I've been paying attention. You, You know about the followers of the way. You believe to some semblance the law of the prophets. This, this is clicking in your, I can see it just up there. 
And Agrippa responds to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? He's saying, Paul, man, I, I see what you're doing, man. All right, I see you. One translation says, keep this up and you'll make a Christian out of me. To which Paul replies, again with some humor, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. Except for maybe these, these chains. You know, you probably don't want these chains. It's Paul for you. His witness, his story, his conviction, his confidence. It's, it's inspirational. He has the audacity to, to bypass Festus. Hey, you, you sit over there. I'm talking to, to King Agrippa, and, and, and he, we're vibing right now. So much so that as we read on, King Agrippa, he's like, man, if, if this man had not appealed to Caesar, I would have let, let him go. He, he's innocent as far as I can tell. I want to let him go, but I can't because I have this obligation to Caesar now because he invoked his name. Powerful. Paul's just sharing his story, sharing his faith. And what Paul is called to do in front of kings and governors, we are called to do in front of everyone in our life. You know, we may not be placed in front of kings and governors, probably not, but we are placed in front of neighbors, coworkers, family members. The task before us is important. It's sharing the good news. What might that look like? Like for us today, how do we do that? And we're, we're going to get to that in a second. But first, I want to take a step back. I want to invite you into this kind of this analysis, examination of the scriptures of, of, of what even is evangelism. What is the biblical precedent there? What, what is behind all of that so that we can better understand the how when we get to it? So what is evangelism? Merriam-Wester defines it as the winning or revival of personal commitments to Christ. Winning or revival of personal commitments to Christ. That's not how I would define it, but it's there in the dictionary, and some people might have read those, so um, that's what we're working with. And this idea of product evangelism, of of sharing good news, is is, I mean, it's rooted in in Scripture. It's a a biblical word, evangelism. Greek word literally means good news. It's the same word translated as the gospel oftentimes. And so when we think about evangelism, we're really talking about sharing the gospel, which then begs the question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And you might think, oh, I know what the gospel is. I go to church. But if we were going to, you know, everyone write out, here, what's the gospel? And we collect them all. There's going to be a lot of different ways to articulate, a lot of different words used, a lot of different emphases. What is the gospel? It's, 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 not, it's simple, but it's not as clear as we might think. There's a lot of different, that's why we have so many denominations and different expressions and that kind of thing. What is the gospel? And what better place to start than with Jesus' own articulation of what the good news of what the gospel is? Jesus preached the gospel? What? Too often, we don't even look to Jesus' words. We don't even look to what he says about what the gospel is. We'd rather listen to me or Eric or the preacher. Like, what does Jesus say? Let's, let's dive in. We're going to be in Mark 1 for a few verses, starting in verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming, 
the good news of God, the gospel of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Whoa. Jesus is preaching the gospel and he hasn't even died and raised yet. What's that about? We, we, we think that, that Jesus' death and resurrection is the gospel. And while it is the culmination of the gospel, Jesus was preaching the gospel before he went to the cross. The kingdom of God has come near. It is in your midst. It is available to, to all. Repent and believe it. And, and if you're looking at your, your scriptures, there's going to be a little separation, which is helpful, until it isn't. Because it, it transitions, but it's, it's, it's key that we don't see it as a transition. Because when we read on, Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. This is Jesus, according to Mark, preaching the gospel. And this is what we see here. God's kingdom is here. Three parts. Repent and believe the good news that Jesus is king, the Messiah. Follow King Jesus. Discipleship. That's, that's the essence of the gospel. Everything else can fit underneath that. Jesus preached the gospel just as much with his life than he did his death and resurrection and ascension. We need to pay attention to that. So let's unpack those three things real quick. God's kingdom is here. In ancient times, the, the word for, for good news, evangelical, evangelism, gospel, it's, it's this word, euangelion. It's a, a very, actually a pretty beautiful word. It kind of, euangelion, it's like it rolls off the tongue. It's, but it wasn't a, not a religious word in the day. It was a political word. It was a word used to describe the announcement of victory or celebration heralded throughout the streets for all to hear whenever someone new would come to power. In the Roman Empire, this was the Caesars. The Caesar, Caesar Augustus, one of the most memorable ones, who was Octavian before he became Caesar. We have historical documents saying this is who the Caesar is. He is the, get this, son of God. The Lord, Caesar is Savior. Caesar is the Prince of Peace. And so, when we read the gospel, and we read that in the days, Jesus is King, Lord. The good news of Jesus Christ, it is radical. Because it's declaring that Caesar is not those things. Jesus Christ, this, this peasant from little Nazareth in this oppressed people group, Jesus is Lord. God's kingdom is here. And it has a king. Tom Wright says that, it, that the gospel is the announcement that God is actually God, that Jesus is Lord, that the powers of evil have been defeated, that God's new world has begun. We're invited into it. His promise rules arrived. That Je through Jesus, the kingdom is available to all. I've said that, but I can't. It is available to all. This is, this is good news. We oftentimes exclude people, but it is for everyone. Paul's summary 
of why the gospel matters, of what the gospel accomplishes, is found actually in verse 17. One version of his articulation, verse 17, starting there. I will rescue, this is Jesus talking to Paul in his vision. I will, this is one of the things that's added, so it's important. It wasn't in the first two accounts, so get that. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. This is, I am sending you to them, says Jesus. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, to, to rescue them from the power of Satan to God. So they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place in those who are sanctified by faith in me. From darkness to light, from Satan to God, forgiveness of sins, a place in the family. This is the good news. And this is what Jesus was inviting people into and invites us into today. But we go on and it's repent and believe that good news that Jesus is king, that the kingdom have come. What does it mean to repent and believe? Well, I guarantee in that day when a new Caesar was, was, was enthroned and the, he would, they would send out evangelists to say, hey, see, this is new Caesar is, is here. Repent and believe. They would use that words, those words. We have documents that say this. And I guarantee it was not just intellectual, oh, yes, Caesar is Lord. No, it's like, oh, I got to get my act together because there's a new Caesar and there's new power and there's new things. I'm going to rearrange my life around what this new Caesar expects of me. Or else the Romans are going to kill me because that's what the Romans would do if you get out of line. This is no different than in the kingdom of God, only we serve a good king, a loving king, a king who invites us in to reorient our lives around him. And this is symbolized, I think, most beautifully, most poignantly from something that I think we, we miss so, so often. It's such a deep thing, but it's our baptism. Our baptism. We, in our baptism, we, we die to ourselves. We are raised into the kingdom of King Jesus. We declare that we're no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness, but we belong to the kingdom of light. We are no longer slave to death, but we are given eternal life. We're forgiven, healed, restored, and set apart for a purpose. When people were baptized, they were baptized into and pronouncing Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, which for some of the early church meant death because they were going against the powers that be. We don't have anything with that kind of stakes in our comfortable Western American culture. But that is what they were proclaiming. Repentance and belief meant risking death. Here's a man who understood this. This is Charles Finney. He's one of the greatest evangelists, preachers of the 19th century. He was born in Connecticut, spent a lot of time in New York, but traveled the world doing different things. He, he was all about strengthening the, the churches, about discipleship, about bringing people into the fold. He was all about uh, empowering and encouraging women to step into roles. And, and he was all about social reform and pushing back in certain things, uh, slavery in his day. The climax of... Finney's evangelistic career was actually in, in Rochester, New York. He preached about 98 sermons in a span of six months. And, and over the course of those six months, shopkeepers closed their doors, posting notices to attend his, his gatherings. The population of the town increased by two-thirds, and crime in the town decreased by two-thirds in that time. And reportedly, 100,000 people came to know Jesus in those six months. 
What? That's crazy. Over the course of his lifetime, Finney is, is attributed f- uh, half a million, 500,000 people who he played a role in bringing into the kingdom. Now that is a capital E evangelist, someone who's gonna share the good news with their life, who has the hand of God on him and he emphasized discipleship through, through holiness and a foundation of prayer in clinging to the word. And we're not all called to be capital E evangelists, but we are invited to be lowercase e evangelistic. Some of us are gifted. Maybe, maybe there's a Finney in here somewhere. I don't know. But it doesn't just end with hearing of the good news. We move on to this third piece of following King Jesus that we saw right after his announcement of what the gospel, he's like, come follow me and I'll make you to be like me, to be fishers of people. And they left their nets, they rearranged their lives, and they followed King Jesus. You see, the goal of evangelism is not conversion, but discipleship. And we've missed that oftentimes. To follow King Jesus, to participate in the work of the kingdom. There's a new kingdom, there's a new king, and he wants us to partner with him for the restoration of all things, inviting all to the table, the banquet table of the kingdom of God. His name is Jesus. And all of this, as we move from what can be said, the theory or theology into practice, what does this look like in our lives? I want to ground it in this question. We are all here for a reason. We're all sitting in these chairs for a reason. Who was it that shared their faith with you? that led you to this place. For many, for me, it was my parents. My parents imparted, shared their faith with me. For some of you, it was a college roommate. For some of you, it was a neighbor down the street. For some of you, it may have been someone on on the TV or whatever, a concert, someone. But you're all here because someone shared the faith. Who shared the good news with you? Every church is only one generation away from extinction. This is why kids' ministry and student ministry is so important. The statistics are still clear. 70% of kids who graduate and go off to college will lose their faith. It is so vitally important that we raise up the next generation. But also look to the people in our lives to pass on what we've learned, to share the good news. You're not called to be a Charles Finney or a Billy Graham or a Samuel or an Eric. Not that we're in the same category as the other two. But you are called to be faithful with your unique life, your unique gifting and your unique spheres of influence, your relationships, your workplaces. So what might this look like for us? How do we share our faith? Now's a good time to to, to mention that I only have a few minutes left, and so I can only say so much, but that's okay, because we're doing a four-week formation class that starts tomorrow night at 6.30 here at the church on how to share your faith. 
We're going to be journeying four Mondays in a row, looking at what is your story? Who are the people in your spheres of influence? What are some tools you can have? How can you bless others? What does it practically look like to share your faith? So I invite you to come back tomorrow, or really, you can come to any of the weeks. You can sign up online just so we know which you know, room to let you know, figure out, but if that's too much of a hassle, you can just sign up, come, whatever, 6.30, tomorrow night here at the Champagne location. With that said, I do want to leave you with, with something to grasp onto, some questions to ponder. And so we're going we're gonna to go through what I'm calling the, 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 evan, the evangelism triangle. Not the best name ever, but it, it's, you know, it's descriptive. The evangelism triangle. And there's three parts to this. The first, and this is the most common, this is proclamation. It's the tip. It's what, when we think of evangelism, sharing our faith, it's the words and stories and this is probably when, like, if someone, if you were describing it, this is probably what you would describe. This is what evangelism is. And it's important. It's vitally important. It tells God's story. It tells your story. We, we have a paradigm here that we use every once in a while before, but because before Jesus I was, but then Jesus entered my life, and because of that I am now this. And that can be used in, in, in the grand scale, the, the bigness of your testimony, of your witness. It could be the small things where it's like, man, I was, you know, this week I was really struggling with being really angry with my spouse, and then by the glory of God in my life, he kept me from expressing that, and praise God, hallelujah. And so the the big and the small, whatever it is, it's just sharing that with others. Like I have victory in the big, grand scale, forgiveness, freedom from sin, but also in the daily small things. And it's just sharing that. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be big words. It's just, hey, here's what just happened to me today. Here's what Jesus is doing. Some encouragement here, because I think I need to hear this, you need to hear that, I think, because this is our tendency. This is the one we're probably least comfortable with. Uh, a recent LifeWay study uh, so I found that eight of 10 people, eight of 10 uh, unchurched people are completely okay with you talking about your faith with them. Completely okay, eight out of 10. So eight out of 10 times, you're gonna have a great conversation. The other two times, Matt. About 10% were like, hey, I'm gonna, I don't want to talk about this. And then there's you know, a few other percentage, some minor percents like you know, maybe get angry and stuff. But don't worry about that. Eight out of 10 people are going to be open to this. These are, they, our, our culture is, is incredibly spiritual. They're, going, they're not religious, but they're spiritual. They want to have these conversations. And you just got to be willing to be open to it, to be looking around. The temptation or the danger is, is when we avoid this. It really is the tip of the spear. But when there's no proclamation, there's no clear invitation to the kingdom. There's no clear invitation to the table of Jesus. At some point, we have to use our words to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the middle section of our, our triangle. This is what we're calling presence. And, and this is people and places. People, places, presence, proclamation, you, you know, Lots of peas. But people and places. Who, who are the people you're around? Are the places you're already in? The spaces that, you know, you just, you're already there, but maybe you're not being intentional. Where do you find yourself regularly? This is a pretty easy one. But I think sometimes we're like, oh, I'm going to share, the, I'm going to share, the, I'm going to proclaim the good news to anyone I come across, which maybe you're gifted in that and maybe you are called to that. Most of the time it's grounded in presence. Who is already around you? Where are the places you are already present? And you're listening, you're discerning the voice of God in your life. The Holy Spirit who is with you. Is it time? 
Is it time to share a word? Is it time to share a story? What, what word and what story? Is it the whole thing? Is it a small thing? I don't know. There's no right answer. In the moment, what is God leading you to do? In the presence with people and with places. When we aren't willing to be grounded in that, then it's gonna be empty. it can be empty words. People aren't ready for it. You're throwing, like Melissa said, throwing the seed in places they're not ready to receive it. So we need to have some caution, some discernment. Like it's important that we are intentional and wise with our presence before we proclaim. They say that, but they don't say, they, they, don't, they say this, it's also true. 80, 80 to 90% of an iceberg is underwater. And I think this third category is the part that we forget about when it comes to evangelism, the, perhaps the most important part, and, and none of these can be completely separated. We need them together, but this is the thing that often gets overlooked, and it's person. Who are the person you are? Who is the person you are? The person you're becoming, your character, your formation. What does your life look like? Are you a beautiful person who's filled with love or something else? And this is not about perfection, but it is about process and progress. Who are you becoming? Because we live in a culture that has heard the word of God proclaimed. And we're in a culture that's rejecting it because of the ugliness of its followers. Everyone loves Jesus, but tons of people hate Christians. That's because there's been proclamation and sometimes presence, but we're not, we've not become the people who look like Jesus. And that's hard and that's heavy. But we have to take this seriously. If we're not connected to the vine, if we do not abide in Christ, if we're not being transformed, then these things will oftentimes end up empty or they will take root and then they will learn about the ugliness and the sin in our lives that we've been lying about and they will leave the faith. I have numerous friends who've done this because the church has not lived up to the calling, the love of Christ on their lives. And I'm sure many of you know those people too. And I don't blame them for leaving the way they've been treated. So how can we become people of love who bring the presence of God in the right time, who then proclaim the good news of Jesus in those spaces? We all know, probably, hopefully, I hope you know, someone in your life who you just, you, they enter a room or you're around them and, and they just exude Jesus in their very being. I have uh, several, but one in particular, her name is Becky and she is a dear friend and mentor, someone I've looked up to for a long time. She was integral to the ministry I was a part of uh, in Clinton before I came here to Champaign and She's just one of those people that, man, her joy and her kindness and it just overflowing, the love of God in her life. She emailed me this morning to say, hey, by the way, I talked to these people and they were super encouraged by something you did years ago. And that's not a joke. She literally emailed me this morning. And, and she's amazing. And she walks with people throughout the week. She literally like walks with, Jesus, with people like Jesus did on the road. Christians, non-Christians, people all the way in between. And she's just inspirational and she's amazing. And she's one of those people who, yeah, she proclaims the gospel with her life. She's present to people. But, but most importantly, she, she is the presence of Christ, the love of Christ. She has been transformed to be like him. 
And this is the hope for all of us. I want to be like her one day. I want you to be like her one day. And so, as we close this morning, are you willing to share your faith? Are you willing to proclaim the good news that there is freedom and there is light in the darkness of this world? Are you willing to be the hands and feet of Jesus? That your very life proclaims the good news, that the kingdom has come and is it available to all? Are you willing to live the kind of life that is inviting others to the table because everyone is welcome? Because Jesus loves every single one of you and everyone out there. You know, it's crazy. We've been through Acts and, 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 and I'm not saying this is not an important thing to talk about, but throughout all of Acts and all the evangelistic stories and all the crazy things that happen, it is never about people going to hell. Hell's not even mentioned in Acts. The gospel is so much bigger than judgment. God is just and he will judge, but it is so much bigger. It is the love of God that wants to encompass all of creation. And we get to invite people into it. So today, this week, how can you live differently? Who can you speak differently to? Who can you invite to the table of King Jesus?